Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I wonder if people have built rituals into how they watch Governor Mike DeWine's daily briefings on the coronavirus. We've heard of the wine with the wine club, but I wonder if people are using the briefing for a daily break. And it's so down home and folksy. And Lieutenant Governor John Houston is so sincere. And Health Director Amy Acton talks to people like she's their nice mom. You wonder whether part of their goal is just giving everyone some solace. We're here to talk about the coronavirus, too. On This Week in the CLE, our weekday podcast from Cleveland.com. I'm Chris Quinn, editor at Cleveland.com, with editors Jane Cahoon, Laura Johnston, and Chris Warnowski. It's Wednesday already. Almost time to talk about the weekend. Yeah, only three more long days. (laughs) (laughs) And then a weekend in which we won't be able to do anything. (laughs) Who are you people? I don't think I've ever seen you. Okay, this this is starting out cheerfully. Let's get started. What does the inside of the lung look like for someone with the coronavirus? We had a new study come out yesterday that involves autopsies on a couple of people who had the coronavirus when they died. One, it turns out, was not killed by the coronavirus, but from a complication from it, apparently. The other one, though, COVID-19 did kill him. Laura Johnston, the Cleveland Clinic, did this study. What did it show? It showed that the inside of the lung air sacs in the one man was coated in what doctors say looked like a thick, layer of paint and it made him really difficult for him to breathe yeah i I can't imagine that the the those air sacs could transfer the gases if they're coated with a thick coat of sherwin williams there's been some discussion in medical circles about whether ventilators are all they are cracked up to be on COVID 19 the there's there are some doctors that have shied away from using them because they think the ventilators are the things doing the lung damage to the the virus patients This kind of proved otherwise, right? It did, because neither of these men were tested for uh, COVID-19 while they were alive, and they weren't treated for COVID-19. They were not put on ventilators. It sounds really awful to have your lungs covered with that kind of stuff. Uh, Anyone who's had pneumonia can only imagine it being worse. And that's what happened to the second guy. He didn't have the slime. He had bacterial pneumonia. Is the idea that the COVID-19 virus so weakened his lungs that it made him vulnerable to the bacterial infection? Maybe. Um, he had the coronavirus in addition to the pneumonia. Apparently, there's been an increase in pneumonia deaths unrelated to the flu across the country since late February, and that's according to the CDC. So that shows that deaths could be attributed to the coronavirus, even though they were never tested. Um, it shows one of the huge challenges of this disease, and there are so many, but there are so many unknowns. Both of these guys died in Oklahoma, but the Cleveland Clinic did this study? 
Yeah, I do not have a definitive answer for you on this way. Um, one, the lead author on the study was from the clinic, and there was another clinic uh, doctor who also was on the list. There are five people total. The other three all came from the Oklahoma office of the chief medical examiner, and all the work was done in that office. They had uh, very detailed descriptions of how they protected themselves with protective equipment. But I honestly don't know if the clinic doctors traveled to Oklahoma or just studied it remotely with with photos. Okay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What happens when people have parties during the coronavirus crisis? We hear pretty regularly from people who are upset about others who are gathering in groups in violation of the order not to do that. Chris Warnowski, we do have examples of police doing something about this, and it has happened a couple of times in the town where Jane Cahoon and I live, Cleveland Heights. Was it you or Jane? (laughs) <laughs> not me which no. one of you is having rockets parties no um, uh, adam Faris actually reported a story this week uh that the same man has been cited twice for throwing parties at his house i guess fights <laughs> broke out uh during these gatherings and the cops were called to them and and he's now been cited uh with some misdemeanors that are related to violating the order to not have large gatherings. So, you know, we're sort of getting into the the point of this where people are starting to take notice of these large crowds and and calling the cops about it, I guess. Yeah, and we learned about this because one of them sent a note to us saying, hey, there's a bunch of cop guards here and a whole bunch of people. Are we seeing other cases of police enforcement of the stay-at-home order? We had that one shop on the west side that was closed Mm -hmm. down. But are we are we starting to see a trickle of these things happening? Yeah, there's spotty reports out of some communities that I, I mean, Cleveland had its first instance of having to cite a business for being open. There was a beauty supply shop that people had been complaining about. And when the authorities went there, they noticed there were like six or seven people in the store and they gave a citation to the owner and basically said, you can't be open. And it's it's sad. I mean, it's sad and because people are really having to choose between their health and their livelihood. And, and so it's a real, you know, I, I, there's some real hard and difficult decisions that people are having to make that, I mean, are really going to sort of transform what our community looks like in the year or so to come. You know what I don't get about that, though? I, okay, so it's not an essential business, right? They sold hair products and all the barbers are closed. Mm-hmm. But with the rules that have been instituted to set capacity limits on the essential businesses, the grocery stores and other things, why couldn't you use the same logic for a store like this and just say, you know, you have a capacity of one, and if anybody else comes, they line up outside, but it would allow this person to continue their livelihood it, it just seems like it's a little bit draconian. It's not as bad as what we're seeing in other states, but why not give this person the chance if they follow some basic rules? Well, I think it's, you know, we leave this up to, you know, what happens is somebody in Columbus decides, okay, these are the new rules. And then all of that sort of trickles down to your local authorities and, you know, all of these people who decide how and when to interpret that law and and those rules and those orders. And so, you know, what you're going to see is a lot of of maybe overreaction in some instances, but in not considering things like what you're talking about, which is like, okay, like we could, 
you know, they're limiting the amount of number of people that can go into a Costco or, you know, a, a grocery store. But why not these other businesses? Like, yeah. why, why force them to shut down? Why not say? And, and I think part of it is, you know, maybe some of the thinking is like, well, you know, if we start making exceptions, then people will gradually just stop paying attention to, you know, these measures and, and you know, w- people will just try to go back to normal too quickly. But I mean, we're on such a fragile line right now where, you know, a little breeze can push us either into like total economic catastrophe and and people will start losing their businesses or, you know, we can blow the other way and, and people's livelihoods will will be maintained. But then at what cost, you know, at, at the risk of spreading disease. So, I mean, yeah. we're in a real bind right now. And it's and, and I hope people can fully appreciate that. It'll be interesting to take a look at some police logs to see how often people are reporting crowds. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Why is Joanne Fabrics open when the Hobby Lobby is closed? We talked about this once before. I wondered whether politics was involved in the push to shut down Hobby Lobby, famous for its Supreme Court victory over Obamacare, and not other craft stores. The answer at the time seemed to be that Hobby Lobby did not sell the sewing supplies, that is needed to make masks and the other craft stores do. But Laura Johnston, it turns out that's not true. So why in this era, when we all are being urged to sew our own face masks, if we can, is Joanne Fabrics open while Hobby Lobby is closed? That is a really good question. Ohio auditor Dave Yost made his cease and desist order to Hobby Lobby a few weeks ago, very public. He tweeted it, but it turns out he also sent similar letters to Joann's and Michael's. All of these stores sell fabric and sewing supplies in addition to a a ton of other crafts and photo frames and everything. Hobby Lobby ended up closing completely. Michael's does online orders with curbside pickup and Joann's, you can just go in and shop. But look, the gun stores are open because they're essential. Pot shops are open because they're essential. You could make a very strong argument that we need the sewing shops open because people have no other way to get the materials they need for cloth masks. Eventually, you'll be able to buy these things anywhere. The the industry will ramp up. But right now, we're being advocated to wear masks wherever we go. So Joanne Fabrics and Michaels should be open, but then so should Hobby Lobby. And I get back to my original question, is this somehow about politics? Which is odd because it was Republicans who shut it down. Right. I, I, I don't have a good answer to this. I read the statement on Hobby Lobby's website. It says that they made the decision to close throughout the entire country. They furloughed all of their workers. But yeah, there is a lot of fear over this. We got some complaints about Joann's, but we got a ton of complaints about Hobby Lobby. Maybe it was that they closed and then reopened. Um, they were just some really angry people about this. Is the issue done or is there still a possibility that something could change? We'll have to see. Right now, I don't see the state shutting down Joann's. And I think Michael's is following the non-essential rules by just doing online orders. But if this keeps continuing and we don't have an end, then I could see Hobby Lobby making the case like we we complied and nobody else did. So we're we're coming back. Jane Cahoon, we have a turn every day to ask Governor Mike DeWine a question in his briefing. This sounds like a good one to me. Uh, you know, we, we Amy Acton holds up the cloth masks every day and says, this is our future. If Hobby Lobby sells the stuff we can use to make face masks like Joanne Fabrics, and it does, why is it forced to be closed? What do you think? Can we ask that? 
Well, yes, Chris, I think it's a very material question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you're listening to this week in the CLE. What services is my government going to cut because of taxes lost to the coronavirus? This is a question that does not quite have an answer, and there's actually some confusion about what's going on, but it's worth talking about. Laura Johnson, let's start with Cuyahoga County. They want to cut 15% of the spending. Why? Yeah, the administration of Armand Budish wants to cut 15% pretty much across the board. The county believes it could see a loss of 20 to 35% in sales tax revenues, plus a 10% drop in property taxes. And without cuts to programs and salaries, this would mean the county would have a $76 million shortfall for 2020. Well, hold on. I'm throwing the flag because as of now, they haven't lost any property taxes. They're not collecting them yet. They're doing the summer. And yeah, maybe delinquencies go up if people are unemployed. But how can the county even begin to project that? And and so far, I don't think we've seen their numbers. The other thing I'd point out, they're cutting social services. In a crisis like we're in, there's social services are vitally important. Is Armin Budish doing what he did with the jail, looking at dollars while ignoring the people here? I, I just I don't get why they're they're so sure property taxes are evaporating. I, I don't know why they're so sure. Um, it turns out that 54 percent of the county's revenue is sales tax. So that is a big chunk. But you're right. Property tax is a really small amount. It's about six percent. And the county believes that the property taxes are going to go down because of delinquencies when people who lose their jobs won't be able to pay. But the property tax, you're right, is very small chunk. And, and that's ser- when we're talking about health, health and human services. That's where that comes from. Right. Property We've, tax. We voted for human services taxes specifically to fund social services. And, and how can we predict there's a drop going on there this far in advance? Yeah, that's a, a really good question um, because not paying your property ta- property tax is obviously a big problem. You can get foreclosed on, so it's not something that people are going to do lightly. Um, and we don't know what the future is going to bring. We learned of this because Amber Donovan, uh, who runs Community of Hope, used to be called Open Table, uh, was a partner of ours in the Greater Cleveland Project. She she gathers people together to help. Uh, people who have aged out of foster care. And she got a call that said her contract was canceled, which confused me because that's direct property tax money. Okay. The county is not alone, but both Parma and Cleveland Heights are putting workers on furlough. Cleveland Heights gets most of its cash from wage taxes, which have to be down. What are the two cities cutting? So the cities are actually talking layoffs right now. Cleveland Heights, we're talking more than a hundred employees most of them in recreation because those programs are not happening. And as you know, Cleveland Heights has a really big rec center. It has two hockey rinks Um, and then more than 40 employees in Parma. The Parma mayor said they were looking at layoffs rather than furloughs, which they did a decade ago in the Great Recession because of the deep reduction in necessary services. There's no need to have these people working. RTA, too, is predicting big drops in revenue. Most people might not be aware, but I think it's nearly 90% of RTA's budget comes from the county sales taxes. What are they doing to cope? So they think they're going to lose $91 million in sales tax, another $22 million in lost fares because ridership is plummeting, uh, down by 70% right now. So that's a total of $113 million. But the 
good news for RTA is they expect to get $111 million from the federal bailout. So they're almost going to be made whole. My question now, and but, I'm but, sure Courtney, but, go ahead. doesn't the county get money? That's what it? I want to know. I'm like, where's the county's chunk of this federal bailout? I'm sure Courtney Astolfio is going to be asking those really tough questions. All right. And two others. And the city of Cleveland does get the huge majority of its money from income taxes, which mm-hmm. are way down. We have not heard them talking about cuts. So we're, we're asking today what they're doing. But but I think that they're going to try and avoid cutting the social, the services people need in a bad time. And then Jane Cahoon, um, Governor Mike DeWine, about a week ago or more, said he wanted to cut state spending by a significant percentage, although Larry Householder, the House Speaker, doesn't think it'll come anywhere near to solving the budget problem created by the coronavirus. Right. They think they're going to have to tap into that hefty rainy day fund that they've been uh, building up. Okay, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. What happens to people who stockpile coronavirus masks and sell them at exorbitant prices? Chris Warnowski, we got an idea of the answer on this one this week. Do tell. So this week we found out that uh, the attorney general's office has taken legal action. Actually, they filed an antitrust lawsuit Tuesday accusing a Chagrin Falls man of selling N95 masks on eBay for a 1,700% markup during this pandemic. Uh, and, and the legal action was actually taken against him and about a hundred other people who have not been identified in the lawsuit yet. So, you know, he was basically just trying to take advantage of, uh, of the shortage of masks by making a profit. Yeah. They're two, $2 masks selling them for 36 bucks. This was not charged as a crime though. It was an antitrust suit filed in Columbus. How is what he is doing antitrust? You usually think about that for like monopolies. Well, you have to think of the way that the Trade Commission sort of defines price fixing. And and so price fixing does kind of fall under the umbrella of an antitrust issue. So, you know, when a bunch of people get together and decide collectively, we're going to charge this amount of money for something that should be, you know, much cheaper, um, that's where it becomes a, a, an antitrust issue. So... So but here you have, have but, but, but let me push back a little bit. They only have 1200 masks. That's not like cornering the market on masks. Whatever happened to letting the market set the price? These people made an investment in masks. The value of the masks is rocketed up and and they are selling them on eBay to people willing to pay the price. Isn't that basic capitalism? <laughs> Yeah, but you say that like it's a good thing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, did you just poke a giant hole in our economic system that people who are are taking advantage of of a dire situation when the government and communities need resources? Yeah, that's that's capitalism, and that's that's you know, I, I think that's sort of a bad thing. No, look, of course this is bad. I mean, they're, 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 these masks are desperately needed. People have been turning them in by the bazillions um it it just seems like a, an odd way to go at him so so what does dave yost want from these people that are being uh, sued by the state he wants them to stop selling these things but he's also he's also asking them to pay uh a twenty five thousand dollar fine for each sale that the judge finds violates the state laws so and they uh, and the, and he wants all the masks Corey schaefer who wrote this story pointed out that that this guy had the audacity to call somebody a nurse greedy 
because <laughs> she complained about the price gouging. And it's like, he's calling her greedy. It's just kind of a shocker. Well, um, my, my favorite part of this story was that the they were accused they accused this guy and another person who went by Donkey four seventy six of unreasonable and unlawful restraint of trade and and Yost who never misses an opportunity to be very colorful with his his giant vocabulary said that there is another word for donkey that immediately comes to mind when thinking of these <laughs> folks. So good on him. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was a uh... Uh, interesting story for a busy day. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How many Ohio restaurants will close permanently because of the coronavirus shutdown? The damage to the economy from this virus is the hidden plague of this thing, and I don't know that we will understand how bad it is for a long while. But Jane Cahoon, we got an idea yesterday of how hard it has hit the restaurants. What's the story there? Yeah, it's bad. The The story is that since the state closed restaurants except for carryout or delivery, about 3,000 of them have either already closed permanently or expect that they're not going to be able to reopen. And even if they do reopen, the, the head of the Ohio Restaurant Association says that many restaurant owners are predicting their sales will only be about 40 to 50 percent of, of what they were before the pandemic. So we have many restaurants out there that are worried about their survival. Is that is that drop in revenue based on a prediction that people will be wary about returning to places where they might get the virus? Right, right. Where and, did this story come from? And did it did it point out any other industries that are in particular peril? Right. What happened is that uh, restaurants of not just the restaurant industry um but also the salon and um, hotel industries spoke to a panel of state lawmakers, and that was um, the the task force that was convened by House Speaker Larry Householder to that plans to make policy recommendations on on how and when to start or restart Ohio's economy. Um, so the the hotel people were there saying that you know the occupancy occupancy rate is like twenty percent. And about 70% of hotel employees in Ohio have have been laid off. Um, and then wow. the salons and barbershops also have a big fear that they're not going to be able to reopen after this. Well, they're all paying rent on the place. They're not making any money. So, right. so we knew that a lot of restaurants had tried to stay afloat through takeout and delivery. But, but the, the testimony at this hearing was that's not really coming close to paying the bills. Yeah, they said that more than half of Ohio's um, more than 23,000 restaurants are just completely closed right now, not offering those takeout or delivery options. And they said that compared to the same time last year, businesses down 90% for fine dining establishments, 75% for casual dining, 45% for fast casual, and 35% for fast food. You know, when you think about the restaurants closing, you're thinking about the buildings, but this is really much more about the people. Reporter Annie Nikoloff had a story about how devastated the restaurant workers are by what's happening. And despite what the state keeps saying, what John Houston keeps telling us, the unemployment system is failing big time. Uh, first, so, so then the state, the first thing they do is they shut down the places of employment and their livelihoods without much notice. And then it screws up the employment so badly that these people have no money coming in. 
and they don't make a whole lot to begin with, right? Jane, Chris Wernowski, you know people in yeah, this industry. I mean, Annie told the stories of several of these workers who, you know, they're not making that much in the first place. And now they don't have anything coming in while they're while they're waiting for their claims to be processed or rejected or whatever happens to them. And or they're getting these low payouts. So they're really like leaning on each other and, and family members just to, to get by. It's really sad. Chris, have you heard from some people you know in the industry? Are they are they feeling it? Yeah, I mean, it's you know those who have been able to get on unemployment feel okay, but I do hear a lot of stories from from people who are, for one reason or another, are having a difficult time sort of navigating that system. And plus, you know, it's we've created kind of a a multi-tiered system here between state unemployment and the, in the cares act. And, 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 and then there are things like, you know, people who own restaurants and small restaurants. I have friends who do that. You know, some of them aren't really understanding that they can, you know, delay paying their taxes. And, and, and so it's, it's, I, I think what this is revealing for a lot of people is just how convoluted these processes are. And that, you know, I think, you know, hopefully this results in in a, in a really good examination of 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 how they can simplify these processes, you know, not not to make not to encourage people to not want to work because most of the no. people I know are are eager to work and ready to work. But, you know, hopefully the myths that we hear about unemployment are going to really be tested by something like this. That, right, it is. That, it's that, clearly that, being tested. I mean, right. the, the number of people in pain. I'm glad you brought up taxes. The, today is normally tax day, but that's all been postponed, state, federal, and local, until uh, uh, July. I've heard Lieutenant Governor John Houston say repeatedly about the, the unemployment, that people can make the system work. But yesterday... He seemed to admit defeat. I mean, he, he basically said, look, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I'm tired of talking about it. I just want to get it fixed. I want to come back to you and, and tell you it's fixed. He seemed terribly frustrated, as did the governor, Jane. Yeah, you know, you, you almost sensed like a, a weariness there. And and one of our reporters observed to me that he thought Governor DeWine seemed almost agitated, you know, but but they keep reaffirming their commitment to, to fixing this thing. <laughs> but they've been affirming that for a month. When do you just shut up and fix it? Yeah. What, what's, what, what, it what they do uh, until yesterday by saying, look, stick with it, it'll work. It infuriates the people for whom it's not working. And they come out of the woodwork saying it's not working and, and this is not true. And why don't you ask harder questions of these guys? Because they're not telling the truth. And it did seem like yesterday was the, the watershed moment where they basically, okay, yes, we get it. It's not <laughs> we working. We're not going to talk about it anymore. So stop asking the question. We'll come back and tell you when it's fixed. So uh, we'll see. And it's it's the biggest failing, I think, of the state government in this thing is the uh, unemployment system. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Are any Ohio companies making ventilators for the coronavirus crisis? We have a couple of interesting answers to this. First, Jane, let's talk about the use of a, an alternative machine that can pump oxygen into the lungs. Um, was that Seth Richardson who wrote that one? Yeah, Seth had a piece on a doctor by the name of William Glenn, who's president of the Ohio Society of Anesthesiologists. 
And he came up with just a really simple idea of creating a statewide inventory of anesthesia machines that are available throughout the state that could double as ventilators if necessary. And other states apparently caught on to this idea and they're doing the same thing. What's the difference between the anesthesia machines and like regular ventilators? Well, regular ventilators are a lot more complex, um, but these anesthetic ventilators still use much of the same technology to assist patients with breathing, you know, while they're undergoing surgery. So in practice, they they can serve as backup ventilators to the more intricate machines that that you typically have in, in an ICU. Okay, and then we have the FDA approving a new ventilator uh, produced by Cleveland area companies with an intriguing name. What's that one about? Yeah, this is a new Cleveland company called Second Breath that just got FDA approval for ventilators that are, they're technically called electric pneumatic resuscitators. And they're also like the anesthesia machines. They're, they're not as complex as a regular ventilator. They're, they're meant to provide temporary ventilator support for patients in respiratory failure until an intensive care unit ventilator is available. But um, one of the interesting things is that a company that usually makes car parts is retooling its machines to, to produce these ventilators. And um, this, this was an effort by too many people to mention, otherwise I'll leave someone out. But you know, it included healthcare people and business people and philanthropy people and engineers, you know, who all got together and made this happen. Well, car parts at ventilator. I mean, <laughs> you know, they got to fill the tires. So maybe it's just a big yeah. problem. So, so now we have all these available ventilators, but we flatten the curves. Do we need them? <laughs> <laughs> well, according to uh, Dr. Amy Acton, the state health director, we're, we're seeing a, a that plateau in these cases. So, so no, so we don't so, need them. <laughs> so, but what I think she and others would tell you is that, yes, we hope we don't need a single one of these, but but they don't regret planning for it and building right. out the capacity because they say we we just had to prepare for the worst. Right, right. And well, and it, we could still have it if people don't do the right thing, the right. surge could come. Okay, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. Good episode, all. The coronavirus generates a lot of news. What do we miss today? Anything? We'll have to see what the day brings. <laughs> New I, uh, strains of coronavirus. I feel like it's always changing. I do want to thank the uh, hundreds of people uh, that stepped up over the last 48 hours to subscribe to Cleveland.com. Uh, we all greatly appreciate that support. We're in, living in a time where our revenue is seriously compromised. And having that many people voluntarily show their sign of support is heartening for everybody who was here. So thanks for that. Thanks to Chris, Laura, and Jane, and thank you for listening to This Week in the CLE. We will return Thursday with the latest in Ohio coronavirus news. Mm-hmm.